0: Our scripture reading this morning is Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's Word. Thank you, Catherine. Appreciate that. Um, Before we start, just a couple of uh, quick notes, um, just kind of what's coming over the next few uh, weeks and months. we have uh, the, for the month of October. I'll just kind of give you the rundown for October. Next week, Ken will be here in the pulpit, followed by David Stevens the next week. And then um, uh, Phil Newton, who was formerly the pastor of Southwoods Baptist Church, uh, will be here. Then Sandy Wilson will actually be here on Reformation Sunday to uh, talk to us about the Reformation and help us understand. Sandy was formerly pastor at Second Pres and is now uh, the president of the Gospel Coalition. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. So some great things coming along uh, through the month of October. Also, if you're here and you have children, uh, we just want to let you know that we have opened up down. Uh, a lot of folks were kind of you know, felt a little self-conscious walking out these front doors. But if you go out those back doors and down those stairs, the bride's room downstairs has now been out outfitted with a television and everything so you can see the service there. If you need to step out with your children anytime during the service, please don't be self-conscious or feel embarrassed about that. Uh, that would be just fine for you to do that. Um, you know, the first Sunday after uh, Cole's resignation, after he left, um, I preached that Sunday. Now, I know all of you remember every detail of that sermon and uh, have the outline ri- written in your notes, and, uh, but I won't, I won't hold it against you if you don't. But it's actually kind of been a little bit of a theme over these last few weeks It's been kind of a a running theme of what's been talked about Um, You know, Jim used it in his sermon last week Then Kevin used it in his comments to Jim And then I used it as part of the benediction And none of us had talked to each other about uh, what we were going to do And so that was kind of something the Lord laid on all of our hearts simultaneously And um, that was on March 14th, 2021 When I preached from Hebrews chapter 12 Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, I considered just preaching that sermon again today. And I actually mentioned it to somebody, and they said, "You really ought to do that. It's still applicable. It's still where we are. But I'm not going to do that. But I want to kind of go a a next step from that. Uh, And, okay, so we're to to run this race. And how do we endure through this race? How do we keep uh, running this race? Um, because we're still running it. And and not just the race of our immediate situation, but just the race of the Christian life. Um, Last time, uh, two years ago, I asked you to underline a, a couple of words and phrases, to throw off everything that hinders, to run the race God's marked out for us, to fix our eyes on Jesus, and to consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Now, at that time in 2021, March 2021, we were entering an interim season as a church unexpectedly. And to some degree, um, with some stress and anxiety going into that season as a church. Um, And and a lot for the part, we were already tired to some degree because we were coming out of all the COVID stuff and, and all those things. And so we come into that season of life, uh, you know, a bit exhausted. But we had the same mission, same mission we've always had. It didn't change then, and it hasn't changed now. The same mission of the church that God has given to us. You know, senior pastors are strategic often in crafting the words of a mission statement but they don't determine the mission of the church. No senior pastor determines the mission of the church. God determines and has determined what the church is to be about. And God determines and has determined our mission as a church. And God has given his church a race to run. And brothers and sisters, as far as that's concerned, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. He's given us everything we need. We have all that we need to run the race that is marked out for us. That was true in 1935, when First was started. That was true in March of 2021. And that's true in October of 2023. Now, maybe we're a little more tired. Maybe the race has gone a little longer than we ever thought it would. That's just the truth, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be defensive about or blame anybody for, because un, frankly, it's not unusual. Let me kind of step out of the sermon just a little bit. I shared this with some individuals, and the, the feedback I got from them was, you need to tell the church that. You, the church needs to understand this, and, uh, because most people don't understand this, and so it kind of it helps our perspective a little bit. Let me tell you what's going on in the church, not our church, but the church, b- broader sense. Let me tell you what's going on in the American church. And maybe around the world, I don't know, I'm not smart enough. I just figured out there was a war going on in the Ukraine. And so I'm not really smart enough to know what's going on all over the world, but I do know what's going on here. And maybe this will lend a little bit per, of perspective to it. Um, you know, in 2021, Cole Huffman was not the only pastor to step down from his role. As a matter of fact, in 2021 and 22, There were unprecedented pastoral resignations. That season of time was termed the great resignation. People were resigning all over the place. Some transitioned to other churches, but in what was called the the great reshuffle, but a large number, a very large number of pastors in those years left the pastorate altogether. They just left it. It was no longer... Something they recognized. The pastor had just become unrecognizable, and not something that was what they had felt God had called them to. They were ill-equipped and inexperienced in the the fine art of refereeing church divisions over masks and opening and closing and vaccinations and social justice. And and well, you remember 2020. Um, And an unprecedented number of pastors just left the ministry altogether. And suddenly there were more churches needing pastors than there were pastors available. And when we talked with IPM initially, and please don't take this as any kind of a, a slight to Jim, I don't mean it that way at all, but they said normally we give two to three choices for, a senior, for an interim pastor. We have one, take him or leave him. He's in your town. His name's Jim Fleming. They said, we don't have nearly as many interim pastors available as we have requests for interim pastors right now. And I say all that to say that we're not the only one running a longer race than we anticipated. I was talking to a pastor here in town a couple weeks ago, and um, they have just hired one of the top search firms in the country to find a a high-level staff position, not senior pastor, but a high-level staff position for their church. He said, you know what they told us? They told us to expect a 30-month process. That's what we're telling all of our clients now. Because there are not as many pastors available as there are empty pulpits for those pastors to fill. So that's just the climate. I just tell you that to know, hey, folks, we have a race to run. Church, keep running. Let me tell you something. We can still do all that God has called us to do. We can still do the good we've been called to. What are you missing, really? I would love for next month for us to have a senior pastor. Trust me, I would love for next month, (laughs) because I've been promised a sabbatical after we get one, all right? And so I'm looking forward to that. And, um, but, you know, But we can do what we've been called to do without a person in that position in our church right now, literally and figuratively. Trust me, I know what it's like when everything in you screams, quit, stop, stop running. If you go into my office, you'll see something on the wall. And when you see it, the first thought you're going to have is, he stole that. Ah. And then the second thought you're going to have is, "Ah, it must have been a relative that died and left it to him. There's actually a marathon medal on my wall in my office. Because the truth is, 50 pounds ago, I ran a marathon. And um, I learned a lot in that process. And by the way, runner's high, total myth. Never got it, never saw it. I know what it's like to both figuratively and literally be running a race and everything in you scream, just quit when that race is harder and longer than anticipated. But to know in the midst of that God's sustaining grace and God's power as we just continue to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving and keep going and don't stop and keep running until God says stop. Our text this morning, you thought I'd forgotten about it, didn't you? Our text this morning It's Galatians chapter 6. Catherine did a great job reading. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it's another keep running text like the Hebrews 12. But it kind of gives us the how to keep running. Hebrews 12 has has put us on a course, says God has put us on a course. It's a course of His design. It is not a course of our design. It is not the course we necessarily want to run, but it is the course that He has chosen for us to run. And having divested ourselves of all the hindrances, as Hebrews 12 says, not all of them are sin, but especially the sin in our life. And then to run with perseverance, this course God's marked out and designed for us, and fixing our eyes on Jesus, and considering the work he has done on our behalf. But in our human nature, there is that urge to quit. And to say it's just not worth keeping running. I'm gonna tell you something, I'm gonna be 100% honest. In the last two and a half years, I have considered quitting. There have been times that I've been like, I just don't think I can do this anymore. It's just too much. But I tell you, you know, I, honestly, it's, do, it's, it's getting up and looking out at the faces in this room I'm like, these are my peeps, you know? I, these are, I got of know where to go, you know? This, these are the people that I want to be with. But our human nature often has that nagging urge to quit. It doesn't just speak to our present race that we're on as a church, but it speaks to the whole of the Christian experience that often we want to quit in that race. And I'm focusing a bit more today on our present reality where we're facing corporately. But we can take that message into every aspect of our Christian experience. See, our life is not a game of chance. We don't spin a spinner, move the prescribed number of spaces, and hope we land on a ladder and not a (laughs) chute. Because I'll tell you what, I play that game with my grandkids. The last time I played it, three times in a row, I landed on that big chute that went from the top all the way to the bottom. (laughs) Life's not that way. It feels like it sometimes but it's not that way. We're not in some random chance of of where the spinner leads us. And verse nine of Galatians six issues two imperatives, two commands that we are to follow because life is not uh, 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 just some random chance. It is a well-planned, precisely measured, God-ordered race that we run to the finish line, not till we want to stop. And we keep running with perseverance not apathy and indifference. And Galatians 6, 9 says, "...and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up." The two imperatives are this, don't grow weary of doing good, and number two, don't give up, don't faint, your translation might say, thus forfeiting the harvest if we do. And it's really two ways of stating the same command, to not give up, to to keep on uh, running, not growing weary. It's a command to do something that we may not even be sure we can do. We may not even be sure we have the capacity or the ability to do that. Do I really have a choice about becoming weary? It's possible that I can become so weary that I give up and I faint and I lose heart because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, it is possible, but it's not necessary. And sometimes we label that as necessary. We feel fatigue may want to quit, how do we keep going in that race? If Verse 9 is telling us not to grow weary. He's telling us not to give up. How do we do that? Well, you know, the answer surrounds verse 9. It's kind of interesting how God set this up. Verses 7 8 and verse 10 hold some keys to keeping on that will help us understand that. Now, there's a little bit of controversy about what the whole context of this passage is. James Montgomery Boyce says the whole thing is about how we handle money the whole thing is about stewardship. Um, and John MacArthur says it's really all about dealing with legalism where they were m- blending mosaic law with grace. Uh, there's all kind of other views of it. But regardless of the difference in what the specific context is, there's an a agreement on the key principles that are in play here. And understand those principles, those are our keys to keeping on. I'm gonna give you three keys to keeping on. You can jot these down if you want to, then two years from now, you won't have to act like you don't know what I said two years before. And so when that race is longer, when it's harder than we anticipated, there are those two mandates, don't lose heart, don't give up. What does verse seven say? Number one, do not be deceived. God's not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, it's not the first time Paul has used this sowing and reaping language. But there's another mandate. There's a third mandate there. Don't be deceived. What it literally says is stop being led astray. Stop being led astray. They were being led astray, and he's telling them stop doing that. Now, how do you stop being led astray? Because let's face it, Satan is crafty. And he's pretty good at leading us astray. How do we know, how do we avoid being led astray? We have to know where we're ultimately going and how to get there. And how do we know that? We study the map. We study the God. When we lived in Chicago, we had a guy in our church, his name was Angel. He was a Chicago taxi driver. Now you understand this is way before Uber or Lyft or any of those things existed. And I remember him telling us one time. He said, uh, "If you're going to take a taxi in Chicago, you better know where you're going and how to get there, because they'll drive you five miles for a two mile trip." <laughs> and uh, so he says, "You better know. You better know uh, where you're going and how to get there if you want to. If you're going to take a taxi in Chicago, you know a lot of us are driving five miles for a two mile trip because we're being led astray." Because we don't know the map. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how to get there, but it's right there for us. It's there for us to read. It's there for us to understand. It's there for us to comprehend in the scriptures. Uh, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Proverbs says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. He gives us God's word. It's the only thing that can give us our course. God's word determines the mission of the church, no person determines that. So that first key to keeping on is to be word-driven. Be driven by the Word of God in the discernment of our race, of the course that we're on, of our path, our mission, so you cannot be deceived. We've got to know the map. Don't let culture or trends drive that. Don't let our own feelings drive that. Don't let our flesh drive that. That needs to be driven by the Word of God. What we are to be as a church Is established in the foundation of the church. And that kind of takes us to the second key, which is also in verse 7, but also going on into verse 8. And that is that God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Now, he says that there in verse 7. Mocked literally translates, turn up your nose. That's what it literally translates as, turn up your nose. What he's saying is, don't turn up your nose. In arrogance toward God... And expect to endure to the end of the race. That's an undeniable truth. The undeniable truth that what we sow, we will reap. It's the most simple principle that every farmer knows. That if you plant corn, you get corn. And if there's a watermelon growing there, whether intentionally or inadvertently, somebody planted what? A watermelon. Any of you have seen the movie Secondhand Lions? It's a cute little movie. We dug it out the other day, the DVDs, and some seed salesman came along and sold these old guys a bunch of seeds, and they went out and planted them, and they got these rows with all the little stickers on it, you know, saying what each of them are. And then at the end of the movie, you know, after it all comes up, it all looks the same. And they realize, man, we got took. It's all corn. You know, it doesn't matter. This this packet said this, this packet said this, but it's all corn. You know what? You plant corn, you're going to get corn every time. And the same thing is true. We are going to get... What we what we're gonna reap what we sow. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, we usually think of this in fairly negative on the kind of the negative lean. You know, we think of it from the standpoint of, you know, well, if you if you sow sinfully, you're gonna reap, you know, consequences of that. If you sow deceit, you're gonna be deceived. We kind of put it on the negative side. But what he's telling us here is this cuts both ways. This is a choice that we get to make. The law, the uh, the undeniable truth, is that what we sow, we reap. But the um, choice we have to make in that is for what we sow. And we get to choose, do I sow to the flesh or do I sow to the spirit? So the second key to keeping on is to sow for what you want to grow. You know, we'd never go out and just throw a bunch of of random seeds into what we wanted to be a bean field and then be upset that it was such a mess, or rightly be upset, we might try it, but we have no right to be upset that it's such a mess. Because if we just sow a bunch of random seeds, we're just going to get a bunch of junk growing out there. We would never look at a, a beautiful flower bed and say, you know, I think I'll just sow some noxious weed seeds And uh, every flower bed needs some ragweed, and uh, every every flower bed needs you know some of these things that I get the little note on my door. If you have a spray service, we detected such and such in your yard. I'm like, I didn't see it, you know, but they detected it. We treated it. You know, that's just there. We don't sow those seeds. We would never do that in the literal nature of agriculture, but we do that in our life sometimes. We're saying, this is what I want. But we sow seeds to the contrary. And if we sow seeds to the contrary, we're going to reap to the contrary. That is an undeniable law. That cannot change. When I choose to sow for what I want to grow, here's what I'm doing. I'm choosing to be responsible for every single seed and what that seed is going to produce. I'm choosing to be careful with every single seed I put in the ground, because that seed is going to grow what God built in to the DNA of that seed to produce. That's going to happen. And I had to ask myself, honestly, because we're sowing all the time, whether we realize it or not, we're always sowing. We're constantly sowing. And I've got to ask myself, will this seed be unto the flesh, which is going to yield corruption? Or will this seed be under the Spirit, which is going to uh, yield eternal life? And by the way, that phrase, eternal life, is a phrase about quality, not duration. It's about an eternal uh, life, uh, the the nature of an eternal life, because it's something we possess here and now. It's not something out there in the future. You know, every runner, every long-distance runner, and I know some of you in here are long-distance runners, knows that whether or not you finish the race, whether or not you complete the course is not determined on race day. You don't just go out there the Saturday morning of the Memphis Marathon and say, I'm gonna finish the race today. I've done nothing in preparation for that, but I'm gonna finish the race. No, whether or not you finish the race is about countless little, some big Decisions over a period of the previous months, if you're talking about running a marathon, 26 weeks of training to do that. And you are, you are very careful through that season. And it's those little decisions along the way that are going to determine what happens on race day. Did you get up at 445 when the alarm went off and lace up those shoes and go pound the pavement no matter how freezing cold it was or balmy hot it was? I ran, my marathon was on Valentine's Day. That means I had my longest training runs in December and January. I was on a long training one, run one morning and reached for a bottle. I had this belt, had these little bottles of water, I reached for one of them, and it was frozen. <laughs> Are we going to do that? There's times when that's what it feels like running the race that God has marked out for us. It feels like we're grabbing for a frozen bottle. and and wanting water that we can't get in that moment. It's those countless little decisions that I say no to to extra helpings of empty calories during that. Did I sow for what I wanted to reap? Did I sow to the flesh? Did I sow to the Spirit? John Stott says this, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fancy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we lie in bed, when we should be up praying, we're sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Now, because I said this cuts both ways, let me change John Stott's words just a little bit and say that every time we allow our mind to forgive a grudge, to resolve in a biblical way a grievance, to take captive and every impure fancy, to refuse to wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the Spirit. Every time we get out of bed when we should be up praying, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the Spirit. We're always sowing. We're always sowing. Every day of our life, we are sowing seeds. Are they to the flesh or are they to the Spirit? Now there is a there is an exhausting battle that only believers know. Unbelievers don't have this battle. You know, you see non-Christian friends, they're doing things that we would feel terrible about, that we would just be racked with guilt about and just struggle with. No, it doesn't bother them at all. Because the problem is, we have within our members, as Paul says, this warring among our members. We have flesh and and we have spirit. And somebody has said that when we are, are trying to run the race, but allowing sin, it's a little bit like trying to run a race while fighting off badgers. It's really not easy to do. It is exhausting. But when we sow to the spirit, when we do the good we know to do, When we feed and we exercise our souls such that the fruit of the Spirit flourishes within us, when our focus is toward encouragement and edification, when we're seeking and and seeing the best in one another, all that extra weight of those battles falls away. All the unnecessary, expended spiritual energy is gone. Can we keep running the race marked out for us not become weary in doing good how tired do we make ourselves unnecessarily y'all, and y'all see the movie The Help, you remember that movie there's a real powerful scene in that movie where Abilene is getting fired from by Miss Hilly but she's not even doesn't even work for Miss Hilly but Miss Hilly is driving the firing of Abilene, and Abilene says to Miss, to Miss Hilly ain't you tired Miss Hilly Ain't you tired? And you know, when I'm allowing, and I do, allowing the flesh, and I'm sowing to the flesh, I just look at myself and I'm so tired. Now understand, there's a difference between being weary and being tired. Uh, our, our, our body can be tired. Uh, that's not the same as the weariness talked about here. Sometimes I just wanna say, man, I I find myself doing this, I'm just kinda like, ain't ain't you tired? Ain't you tired of just striving against the spirit and feeding the flesh? Aren't you tired of of running, fighting badgers the whole way? The word of God drives us, being Bible-centric, sowing for what we want to grow. And then the third key to keeping on is there in verse 10. So, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, that first line, you've got to kind of read it, so then as we have opportunity, you know, does that mean as opportunities come along? Or does that mean so as we have opportunity? And the meaning here, I believe, and, and, is that the idea is the whole of our life on earth is an opportunity to do good to one another. It's not some special little opportunity that comes along. Our whole life is an opportunity for us to do good to one another while we are on this earth. It's the only time we can do good to one another. is while the breath of life is within us. So in that time, we're to do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith, or are brothers and sisters in Christ. So that third key to keeping on is to recognize the energizing effect of doing good to others. Paul says not to become weary in doing good. And he says, keep on doing good. The difference between being weary and being tired, we all get tired. We all have finite energy. We all need rest. We all need to know how to say no sometimes and not take everything that comes our way. And every recognition of a need doesn't constitute God calling us to meet that need. But weary here is a weariness of soul, not a tiredness of body. It's the weariness of soul when we are allowing the flesh to have so much of a place that that battle with the Spirit is so intense, and we are not doing the good that God has called us to do. There's something about doing good. There's something about exercising our gifts, serving others rather than being served, building up rather than tearing down, seeing the best in others rather than the worst, sowing to the Spirit, doing good, Everyone, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, while we have this opportunity, while we have this time on earth to do it, that even when we're tired physically, it can be energizing. We can draw energy from that. When it's done to the spirit and not to the flesh because it's a spiritual energy. It's a a God thing that he is giving us that ability. So the whole picture here, four commands through here. One, don't grow weary of doing good. Two, don't give up. Three, don't be deceived. Four, do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. And then there's a promise. In due season, we will reap. Now, this is a little different than regular farming because a regular farmer knows when his crop's coming in. We don't know when our crop's coming in. We don't know when the season is due. As it relates to this season of pastoral search, we don't know where the finish line is. We don't know where that's going to be. But what we do know is the good we are to be doing. And, brothers and sisters, there is nothing stopping us from that. If you're waiting For a senior pastor to do the good you know to do, you won't do it when he gets here. remember David Frazier saying one time, I don't know if he's here today or not, but he said one time, you know, don't think if you're not reaching people cross-culturally here now that you're going to go to the mission field and suddenly start reaching people cross-culturally. And if we're not doing the good, you know what I've been praying ever since this happened? I told the staff this the first day that we didn't have a senior pastor here. I said, I hope that when the new next senior pastor comes and we hand him the reins, that we jerk them out of his hands. Because we're running so hard and so strong that it just jerks the reins right out of his hands. If we're waiting, and so many of you, church, you're doing it. You're doing the good you know to do. If you're not, please join those who are. And don't stop now. Let's keep doing And let's keep God's word at the center and as our one and only final authority. Let's sow for what we want to grow. We want the flesh to grow, so do the flesh. We want the spirit to grow, so do the spirit. And while we have this opportunity, let's do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. If we do that, we may get tired. We may get physically tired. We may get emotionally tired, but our soul will not grow weary our soul will not grow weary, and we will finish the race marked out for us, and we will reap a harvest. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that we have the map, and we have the guide that we need to do what we need to do. It's your word. And if we got the greatest senior pastor in the world, He would only be as good as his commitment to the Word and to proclaiming the Word to us and guiding us in the fulfillment of what your Word commands. And Father, I pray that we as a people, that we would stay biblically focused, that we would sow unto the Spirit and not the flesh, that while we have this opportunity, while breath is in our lungs, that we would do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. Or we thank you for that commitment to meet us there. In Jesus' name, amen.